What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Monday, April 17th, 2023. As always, I am PK alongside my co-host, Phil. Phil, um, I am still recovering from a, a voice change that you're hearing right now. Uh, I blame the sound system within the arena from Saturday night. I don't know why they have to play thing. This is this is my old man take right here, Phil. I don't know why they have to play it so stinking loud. Like when you first walk in before the bandits enter the field, it's a perfectly good volume. Like you could talk to one another and then they step on the field and it's like, okay, crank it to max. It's just, it's too loud. They need to turn it down. You can't even like conversate with people around you, not just in the beginning, but throughout the game too. Like if you want to talk about the game, you have to scream and it's, I, I don't like it. Yeah, no, it's it's loud. And there was one time, I forgot when it was and even what was playing, but there was one time they absolutely cranked it up, even like just through the roof. I don't know what was going on. And yeah, there's there's times where it's exciting for it to get really loud and certain songs you're trying to amp the crowd up, but I, I feel like they forget to turn it back down and then just keep going louder and louder and louder. And there are times when you can hear the speakers struggling and they're just like being blown out. It's it's pretty loud, and we, we love a loud atmosphere, and we love the loud music, and we love everything about the bandits, but sometimes it's just, it's a little, a little too loud, a little too much. Just let the, just let the fans build up the, the noise. You don't have to plug it in. I mean, there was over 16,000 people there. They're going to make a loud enough noise where you don't have to put in the, the sound system and just burn out everybody's ears. It's just, it's too loud. I've been meaning to go over this for a while, but it's just, it's too loud, Phil, just dial it back a bit like I, I know you want to get everybody amped but i think there's other ways of doing it rather than just you know bandits around the floor let's max out the volume here it's just it's too loud i know sabers have the same issue where people in the arena there complain it's too loud as well it's just it people are going to the game to not just enjoy the experience of on the field entertainment but before the game you want to be able to talk to one another like we we were talking to some people before the game as well. You could barely understand what they were saying. You could barely they could barely understand what we were saying. Just turn it down a little. That's all I'm asking. Like it, it's at a hundred. Turn it down to seventy five, and everybody will still be happy. So if you're with me in this argument, you can follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com and check for the time breakdowns in the description of the show. We will go over the Buffalo Bandits first. Another overtime winner. Unbelievable. 11-10 versus New York. Buchanan, Smith, and Byrne all had Hatties. McKay and Frazier chipped in one each. Vince, 47 saves. Shots were 58-57 to in favor of Buffalo. Faceoffs, 14-11 in favor of Buffalo. Bandits, 1-for-3 on the power play. Riptide, 1-for-2. Phil, what can we take away from this game? A lot, I guess. I mean, it was a uh, lackluster kind of, I don't want to say depressing, but a little bit depressing kind of game. I mean, this is the warm-up to the Toronto game is what I believe I, I told you it was before the game even started. I mean, I was kind of excited for the game, but at the same time, it's New York. I mean, Bands games are always exciting, so I was happy to be there, happy to have a lot of fun, but New York's not a huge rival. They're already out of playoffs. It's just a game you don't get super hyped for because there's no real rivalry there right now. So it was a game that was kind of meh going into it a little bit. And then the game proceeded to play out very meh as the Bandits just continued to struggle on offense. And on defense, they were 
interestingly okay and bad at the same time. I think Vince had a really good performance. He was probably one of the better players of the entire night, and the uh, New York goalie as well played just out of his mind, as goalies tend to love to do against the band. just play really, really well. But the offense looked much better than we've seen recently. They were attacking the inside a lot more. Passes were coming from a lot of different angles. You could see them moving around a lot more. Overall, the offense looked much, much, much better than we've seen in a long time. I obviously didn't really come away with a lot of goals to prove it, but they had a lot of posts, a lot of really close opportunities, and and Dunkerley just honestly played out of his mind. I mean, he played really, really well. We talked about him a little bit in the preview show. We didn't know which goalie was going to end up being run out there. He was the one. His stats were better headed into the game, so we kind of assumed they might go that direction, especially just trying to figure out what they want for their future, and he played really well I mean there was not a lot of good opportunities to get things past him and he made a lot a lot of big saves on the offense so overall to me the biggest positive of this game was the offense looking much better than we've seen it again I know it doesn't really show up with the 11 goals and barely beating New York in overtime but I think overall they looked much much better than we've seen in a long time Phil I just I I want a game that's not close this is the seventh game that's been within two goals of one another it it's it's too much my heart can't take it this is the what the fourth overtime win that they've had and the first one philly smith scored it halifax kluch scored it san diego Priolo scored it new york uh, burn scored it. it's just uh, are they ever going to win a more decisive victory i mean the last time they did it was against New York 16 to 10. It's just again the offense didn't look super sharp. Like you said, they they were they were better, but it's still they're they're still missing that. I'm not even calling it last year's because last year's was unbelievable the talent that you had with Fields and and Frazier were going nonstop and neither of them have I mean Fields is out the door, Frazier's only played in what two games, but it's just it, the offense of last year I don't think is coming back. I think we're hoping for the offense of the middle of the season to come back. You could definitely tell there there were spurts of them passing the ball quicker. I mean, the one time they were passing and whipping it right around it, I think it was the the Buchanan goal where he came out from behind the net where I think it was Byrne that found him. That was that was made up because they were passing the ball so quickly. But then the other half of the time they went back into the rut where there was just passing it to the outside, try to run, set some picks, and, and shoot it from the outside. It, se- it seemed like they were on their way to changing up the offense a bit and getting into the dirty areas and and uh, passing the ball around quicker. But then they kind of just reverted back to their old ways this year. And I, 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 I think I'm not saying they got lucky because they did this against New York because New York has, you know, they're not a terrible team regardless of the record. They have talent. Their goalie played on their mind, like you said. But it's just I, I want this this offense to have it figured out and you got two more games to figure it out before playoffs and you know next week versus Toronto biggest game of the season I was gonna say I think if you're winning next week it's gonna be close so expect another close yeah close I'm, game I'm if, if you're hoping for a W one. and if it's not a close game I, I would assume that you got blown out again right so so we want we want one more close game and then Albany you can finally just tear into someone and blow them apart but I think Part of the problem with the offense is the depth of scoring that we've seen this year. I mean, Dane, Josh are incredible. They're way at the top. But then third on your list, who is having a very successful season, really glad they brought him back, is Buchanan, who had another hat trick in this game. So he is playing really well. But then number four 
on the bandits list for the entire season is still Nanakoke, and he hasn't played in months pretty much. So, I mean, the depth scoring is just not really there. I mean, Cloutier is down at six. Even Ian McKay is still number five, and I think you saw him get in the offensive things a little bit more this game. I think he was a little bit more transition than we've seen recently. I feel like since all the players have come back, he's really faded to a little bit more of a defensive role than you know the role that we're used to seeing him in where he jumps in occasionally. I think this game he jumped in a little bit more often. He did get that incredible goal and almost had a few others. So it'll be interesting to see if he tries to push the pace and try to, to stay up on offense a little bit more. But it was nice to see McCulley setting a lot of picks. It was nice to see LaRue go over and just absolutely deck someone trying to set a pick. And even the illegal picks that we saw, I honestly, like, I understand it's an immediate turnover of possession. So overall, I'm not thrilled with it. But it's something we haven't seen from the Bandits in a long time is setting very aggressive picks. So in a game like this, I think it was really positive to see them being extremely physical on their picks and sometimes a little too physical, but I will take that over what we've seen recently. But yeah, the offense was still very half and half where some of the goals are coming from the outside. Some are coming from the inside. They had some positive plays and then some, like you said, were being forced to the outside. Overall, I think I had five inside goals and six outside. So for the most part, the majority of their goals they were able to get were still coming from the outside, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I do think they took a lot of shots from the outside again. And they had a lot of posts, they had a lot of good opportunities, but next week's going to be just, you've really got to take this and amp it up by, I don't know, what, 10 times at least to really get this offense moving. So, I mean, we'll see if Nanakoke ever returns, if he makes a big impact, and even Fraser just trying to get more than one game in at a time, really get his legs moving, and really get going. I mean, the goal he had was incredible, so I mean, maybe if we can see a little bit more of classic Fraser who we are used to, and he just needs a few more games to get there. Hopefully this was just a really big tune up. It was good to see some positives from the offense, but like you said, they're just not there yet. Yeah. There's not much more I can say about the offense. We've been saying it for weeks now. It's it's, I mean, they hit double digits, so that's, that's in the right direction, but I think it's just, it's just more about trying to, they just got to figure it out. I mean, we're just two guys sitting behind a microphone talking about it. So they definitely have to figure out what is working, what is not working and get back to it because you got two major games to finish it off. If you win both of them, you win the East and the I, actually, if you win both of them, you're both of those games, you're going to have tops in the entire league. So it, it's, it's a game where, they just got to figure it out pretty much. I mean, we've been saying it for how long they got to figure it out on offense. I think they made some nice steps in the right direction, but I think there's other areas where you still have to improve. And I mean, the transition game looked pretty well. Ian McKay scored that one in the transition game. So I think also involving the transition game when your forwards aren't, you know, contributing to the offense as much as they had in past. I think that's another area, but for the defense, the biggest thing that I saw switch in the second half, I mean, it was, hang on, let me scroll to the top here. It was, it was five to four at halftime. You were down. So it, it's still five and five in both halves, but it seemed like they were shadowing Jeff Teat the whole second half. And yes, he still walked out the door with six points, but what's that thing I saw, I told you guys on the show last time, if you can keep Jeff Teat to single digit points, I think you're giving yourself a great chance. And he had two goals, four assists, six points on 21 shots. 
When he's shooting the ball 21 times, you're thinking, okay, four, five, six, seven goals, something like that. He had two. And I think the way they did it, they put Dalton Silver, who's a speedier guy in the transition game, they were just matching up him. They were trying to have him run through the picks, get around the picks, and stick on Jeff Teat. Pretty much just taking him out of the whole play, where they he just wasn't going to try to let Jeff Teat, the offense, go through Jeff Teat. And when you could adjust that a bit, you could throw their offense off. And I think that's kind of what they did. And I mean, going into it, you, you didn't have Bryce Sweeting, another bigger body guy because of the suspension. Kellen LeClaire is out the door. You had uh, Adam Bomberry didn't play. Carter McKenzie was in. So you had one of your top four big guys. And it, that was a big question for me was why they did what they did. I know they can't control Sweeting. LeClaire's out the door, but the Adam Bomberry scratch, unless it was some kind of like health issue in warmups, kind of like uh, Chase Frazier was a couple weeks ago, that one was mind blowing to me a bit because, you know, you went smaller this time and I didn't really understand why. I think as a whole, I mean, if, if your game plan going into this is to stop Jeff T, you did that. And I think that was obviously the main game plan. We've talked about it plenty of times with Dane Smith and the offense, especially with all the injuries that the Bants have had this year, that a lot of times going into the game, other teams are focusing on stopping one guy because that's who the offense runs through. I've never seen an offense run through Jeff Teat or one player as much as the Riptide does. I mean, we know that he's their main guy and that it runs through him, but I've never seen someone force-fed, essentially, so much ever. I mean, I pretty much watched him the entire game because... This is one of the few times we get to see him. He's an incredible player, and I just wanted to kind of keep an eye on him, see what he does. So I watched him most of the game just kind of for fun, and the amount of times that the team is just looking for him, kind of for guidance and for leadership, and he's such a young kid, and yet everything runs through him. I mean, like you said, 21 shots. I think you told us the next highest was seven on the team. That's not even close, and even the four assists he got, the other goals that they were able to get, still a lot of it ran through him. The... Issue I had with the defense, which I think I'm hoping at least kind of comes from just shadowing Jeff Teat as much as you did, was I had the defense allowing nine inside goals and only one from the outside. That is not good at all. That means there's a lot of breakdowns in defense, whether it's an incredible pass or whatever's happening. Someone is getting inside right next to Matt Vince, and that's how they scored a lot of their goals. And that's not good, but again, that might be just a you know, kind of a side effect of watching one player and making sure you really shut him down. I mean, they still only scored 10 goals, which for this team is pretty good. And so I think just being able to really shut down Teat, I think that opened a lot of lanes for the other players and even Teat just finding a way to pass to other players and make those opportunities work, I think kind of shifted how the defense normally plays a team, which is why there were so many inside goals. But there were two transition goals, which were just not good by the defense. And then there was the one where the player just ran straight in and absolutely nobody picked him up. And that was another just absolute breakdown by the defense. And I, that's probably one of the worst defensive plays I've ever seen in my life, where a player just has the ball and everyone knows he has the ball and he just walks right in because no one's watching him. But I thought Vince played really, really well, given everything. I mean, 47 saves, humongous bounce back from the last time he played. And again, all those goals coming from the inside, I pretty much had, I think, one goal that Vince might want back, maybe two, but for the most part, I thought he played incredible, and the defense, even though it needs to tighten some things up, I think if their game plan was to stop Jeff Teat, that's what they did, which I think opened up a few other things, but for the most part, not a bad performance. Yeah, I mean, this was their 10th game out of the 16 they played so far, allowing 10 or less goals. That's, 
I mean, as as much as we harp on the defense and stuff like that, allowing 10 or less goals in 10 of the 16 games you played so far, pretty stinking good. And, and I'll take that any day. I think the other aspect of the nine goals that you mentioned were from the inside. That's another reason why we wanted so many bigger body defenders. So you, those players can't get to the inside. And you, when you go in of one of the four guys, the bigger body guys, it's it stinks and it's it brings up a bit of questions. But the only other thing that I got on this one, and I know you got a couple more things you want to mention. The we are here on this show. We have been saying it for two years now that faceoffs don't matter unless they matter. And there are situations where you're facing like a Jake Withers or or a uh, Trevor Baptiste or somebody like that where your main objective is to make sure that they don't win it cleanly and get down for an open shot. And I think since Max Adler has joined the team, that has not really happened very often. He's been a, a good job of either winning it clean or not allowing them to win it clean and allowing your defensive players to get in the position and you're not getting Matt, Matt Vince burned. But I, I thought right at the end of the game, that, that final faceoff win at the end and the start of overtime, he won those two massive faceoffs. The, the one in the, in the, the end of the game there. He tied him up and then was able to scoop the ball back and Ian McKay was able to grab it and call the timeout. In overtime, he just won that thing clean. That's why you have a faceoff guy like a Max Adler in there so that when the faceoffs do matter as much as they do, like in this situation, you want the last possession, you want the first possession of overtime, he can win it. And he did exactly that. He did his job. Now, nothing came from that. And and we could talk about the design plays that are coming out of timeouts, which I think are not on Johnny T. I think they're on the execution of the players on the field. But I, I, I think that's the main issue that I have about the end of the game there is just there anytime they come out of timeout like that, the execution for the players is just it's bad. It's it's been bad. I mean, besides the Philly game where they called the timeout and Dave Smith was able to design it or go in there and score the goal. It's that's been the last time I think they did anything out of a timeout, really. Yeah, I think of the few of the overtimes they've been able to call timeouts and either were off that possession or off the next possession, they're able to score pretty quickly. But yeah, for the most part, at the end of the half or, you know, end of the game, first overtime possession, they're coming out of timeouts. And I can't imagine Johnny is telling them to lose the ball within 10 seconds of, you know, starting that opportunity. So I really don't think you can blame the head coach a lot on these ones. It seems like the player execution is just really poor. And I know plays that are designed kind of can pretty easily get blown up if someone gets, you know, bumped out of the way or, you know, picked by the defender. So there's ways that a play can get just, you know, destroyed really, really quickly. Oftentimes they try to go behind the net to Buchanan and kind of try to set something up like that. I think there was, I think it was the end of game one where they almost had a pretty good setup, but then the last pass was just a little bit off. And I don't know. I, I feel like to me, they just need to simplify things coming out of those timeouts. Just no matter what you do, get a good quality shot on net. I'm not asking for 16 passes and then, you know, some diving crazy attempt, just get, Something decent on net. I mean, it seems like so many times recently they try to pass a little bit too often and then they end up just losing the ball altogether. I mean, I think it was the what end of game one where they just lost it. And even in the first one in overtime, they lost it within just a couple seconds. Somebody just lost the ball off of a pass and then you waste that overtime opportunity. I don't even think they got a shot off in that situation. So it's opportunities like that. I mean, you just can't really let those go to waste. That could end up costing you the game if the other team comes out of their timeout and scores right away so I don't know if simplifying that situation just needs to happen and just come up with something 
extremely basic that you pretty much can't screw up or i mean even better the execution just needs to be there coming out of those timeouts but phil that's pretty much all i got do you have anything else you want to add to the bandits before we uh move on to the bsc update uh the only other thing i have is because i was trying to set up my article a little bit today so i was watching a lot of the replays and going through some things and watching players and i've done it Pretty much throughout my entire sports life, especially when your team gets down early in the game and then comes all the way back. I love watching those highlights, especially knowing, obviously, how it ended and watching a team, you know, storm back and end up winning, especially watching the other team get super excited super early. And then just knowing that, obviously, your team's going to come back and win. It's always kind of fun. But even in these situations, I love watching OT, and we've sadly gotten to watch it a little bit too much this year with the Bandits. But watching that last goal and having control of the replay and just kind of going back and watching the goal over and over and over and watching each and every individual player that's on the field, you know, watching the excitement of the bandits and the disappointment from the riptide in this one. I don't know. I think it's, it's kind of fun. Obviously I don't think I would love to do it the other way around, but the bandits have won so many overtime games this year that it's, uh, it's been a positive experience most of the time. So I don't know. I think it's just a a fun, weird little thing to kind of go back and just look at everyone's reaction as that ball goes in. So BSC update here. I am up 23, 25.55 to 2038.52 for your Buffalo Bandits. You put up 38 and a half points. I put up 34 and a half points. So you did beat me in BSC Buffalo Bandits where we draft players from the team with their own scoring system. And, uh, you beat me this time, Phil. Congrats. Thank you. I think uh, as we will slowly find out, I got a clean sweep for the first time in probably months. Spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah, you're welcome. So we'll go over the milestones here. Uh, quite a few of them happened, and I was very happy that they did, so I don't have to keep reading them on the show. So Ian McKay, he did set a new career high in points. He had 32 in his rookie year. He's sitting at 34 right now. He also needed five more loose balls to set a new career high here. He also did that, so congrats to him. The Ian McKay hour continues with he was uh, two points away from 100. He got that, and with that, he is the 36th Buffalo Bandit to record 100 points in the black and orange. Thank God I don't have to read that for a fifth straight week. Steve Priolo, he did pass the 1,200 loose ball mark for his career. He is just the third bandit ever to record that many loose balls for the team. Kyle Buchanan also crossed 900 loose balls for his career. Incredible accomplishment from a forward. Matt Vince also moved into a tie with Steve Dietrich for the most wins with the Buffalo Bandits. And with this win, Johnny T also passed Troy Cordingly for second place in coaching wins. And then uh, with the 11-point game with Dane Smith, he's up to 119 points. He has just himself on the all-time leaderboard to pass for a single season for the Buffalo Bandits. Insane season he's having, and you can even call it a down season compared to last year in you know averages for points. He's having an unbelievable season, and uh, he did put a bit of a dent in the Jeff Teat lead. He's down to two-point lead from Jeff Teat, or Jeff Teat has a two-point lead over Dane Smith now. It's uh, it's within grasp. It's the exact kind of game we were hoping for. It's just a bummer that Dane Smith and the Bandits now have to face the Toronto Rock, but hopefully it's a, you know, high-scoring game for both teams and the Bandits win, and Dane Smith can take that lead back. I don't know if either of them... It'll be close. If either of them can really break the record, I think it's possible for both, but it's going to be 
real close, and I think Smith is doing a good job catching up to his assist record. I think that, you know, insane game he just had finally for the first time in a long time, seeing him get 11 points with eight assists, I think that helps quite a bit to kind of aid in his production to try to break his own assist record. And this is not a shot at uh, Ian McKay whatsoever, because we, we love him quite a bit, but pretty interesting that he has 100 points and Dane Smith can just, you know, do that in a year. Well, it also helps that one of them's a forward and one of them. Oh, absolutely. And plays absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that helps a bit. I mean, especially because McKay really doesn't play offense pretty much ever except this year. And that would. Yeah, he did show what he can do when he's up in the forward group, though. He did. He did. He's having a really, really good year. Obviously, like you said, setting new career highs and points. And when they needed him to step up on that left side, he did that pretty seamlessly. I mean, his we talked about a while ago, his ability to step up and play on offense and just the way he was able to score while a lot of those players were out and even the incredible goal he just pulled off this last game. He definitely has the offensive ability. He's just also too good at defense. That is very true, but you also teased it next week back in Bandit Land for the final home game, Fan Appreciation Night. Please have your expectations for what you get for Fan Appreciation Night within grasp because it's probably not going to be much where they face the Rock in the biggest game of the year. Hopefully for Fan Appreciation Night, the thing you get most is a win and uh, you reclaim first place in the East. But Phil, we'll move over to the Buffalo Sabres. We will close out their season here. Thursday versus the Senators, 4-3 to three in overtime. They uh, sent Craig Anderson off into retirement in a great epic fashion. They won 4-3, to three, like I said. Yoki, Olaf, Tage, and then Middlestad had the overtime winner where the goal scorers, Anderson, 30 of 33 saves. Shots were 36-33 to 33 in favor of the Buffalo Sabres. And then Friday, after the season officially ended for the NHL because they ruled it that the NHL season officially ended on Thursday night. So the games that happened on Friday, I don't know how they did this, Phil. It made no sense. It's just another NHL that thing that doesn't make any sense. Like none of the rules were mattering. So you could have called up any players you wanted. The, the salary cap didn't matter. So you could call up any players you wanted. It was, it was a weird day, but they defeated the Blue Jackets five to two. Skinner, Olafson, Tuck, Middlestad, and Krebs were the goal scorers. Uh, Levi made 29 of 31 saves, continues his epic, Finish to the season 33 or 35 to 31 in favor of the Buffalo Sabres and shots and their record stopped and finished at 42, 33 and seven. Good for 91 points. Phil, they missed playoffs by two points. That's it. Two points. And as sad as we are, we're also thrilled. Yeah. Now that the season's over, I am thrilled by what happened. It's a little disappointing, but still unbelievable season. Yeah, and I mean, the the biggest thing, I know we talked about it for months now, that this team is just incredibly young, likely going to get even younger next year with a lot of their, or some of their older players either possibly moving on. I mean, Anderson's one of the big ones as far as just team average goes. He's, uh, he's hurting the curve a little bit, but he had an incredible, incredible career and in what he did. And even for the Sabres, what he meant to them, I mean... Obviously, a team in complete turmoil and turbulence that they've been for the last couple of seasons that he's been here. He's done an incredible job as a leader to all these goalies that have been kind of, you know, hanging around. He's played really, really well. He's been one of the steadier, you know, net presences back there. He's had really good numbers, even with a team that is still trying to find its identity in front of him. So I think he was an extremely positive, calming presence on the team as being kind of one of those coached slash players and kind of playing both roles for this very young team. So I think it was 
incredible that Adams was able to get a player of that caliber and what he's been able to do for this team and what he's meant to this team. And hopefully he really enjoys retirement. And I, I do wonder if he will be back around the Sabres a little bit, just every once in a while, popping in, saying hi, seeing how everyone's doing, because he seems like that kind of guy, and this seems like that kind of team. Yeah, I mean, everything they did for Craig Anderson at the end there, just the small things, where they were having his kids read off the the starting lineup in the locker room. They had his, his wife and his kids down at the uh, Zamboni doors after the game ended. It's just... They are doing everything right. There was a a period there where they just weren't doing anything right. Where, like, I think it was the Jason Pommaville. He came back to the building and they didn't do anything for him. Hint, hint, Buffalo Bandits. Uh, your assistant captain, Kevin Brownell, after, what, 12 seasons with the team comes back? <laughs> and you just showed him on the screen. That's all you did for him. That's just, it's shoddy. It's, it's, it's not looking at the bigger picture. It's not taking your your organization seriously. It's just small things like that. They get frustrating. The Buffalo Sabres have done everything right. RJ Knight last year, Ryan Miller Knight this year. It's just everything they're doing. I'm not saying it's perfect, but they definitely are taking steps in the right direction that are not just like making their fan experience better, which has gotten better in the arena. They do have to do upgrades to this, the arena and everything, but just like the small things like appreciating Craig Anderson and stuff like that, where it was the off season two years ago where we're going, okay, you basically signed this guy out of retirement. What the heck is this going to be doing? They're just, it's another reason just filling a guy in net. He's 40 years old, but he did just everything perfectly. I think the, the things you're going to see by Devin Levi moving forward, I think a lot of that is going to come from Craig Anderson and the small pieces that he was able to wear off on him for the last month. It's just he was the perfect goaltender for this type of organization and where they're going, the rebuilding, where he, he was never too high. He was never too low. He was just that steady presence back in net, and I thought everything that he did. I mean, Phil, get this. His first game in the league was November 30th, twenty. Or 2002. It just, what the heck? 709 games over 400,000 minutes, or 40,000 minutes. I'm sorry. That would have been extreme. (laughs) Uh, 319 wins. It's just, he had an unbelievable career. And to finish with the Buffalo Sabres is even better. Honestly, there's two other points to this. One, with how the team was looking these last few seasons, I'm very happy that they were able to get him his 300th win. I was there. There were times we were worried that uh, he might not be able to reach that, especially with his injury this year. I mean, I think he got it before that, but even still, just a little bit concerning. That I mean, it's something that's a humongous milestone that obviously you want him to reach, and just with this team and the way they've been playing, not this year but last year, and not including the very end of the season, it was just. A little bit scary if he was ever going to get to 300, so really happy that he was able to do that. And I think the only other real negative I have about Anderson is that he is leaving when Levi is just now coming up. I think if they could have gotten a year together, that would have been amazing for Levi and just what Anderson would be able to teach him as a player. But like you said, even the last couple of months that he's, or last month he's had with Levi and just what he's been able to likely teach him and just be around him. I think it's going to be great for Levi's development and everything that Anderson's given to this team and just the the player that he is and what he's meant to this organization, even for just a couple seasons, was incredible. And the like you said, the send-off they gave him and even winning in overtime, massive. I mean, playing against his former team was massive and just even just getting that victory. I mean, you 
go into overtime or even if you would have lost that game, it wouldn't have been nearly as fun of a night. I mean, getting that last victory, especially in overtime, getting him even a few extra minutes on top of that, it was just a really great experience. And it was a heck of a final stretch here for the Buffalo Sabres as well. Six of eight points in four games and five nights. It's pretty impressive what they were able to do. Even with, you know, all the injuries were coming out. Uh, it was uh, Matias Samuelson was playing with an MCL sprain. Or, yeah, MCL sprain and a broken hand. He was playing the games like that. I don't think he was healthy for most of the season, and he was still playing at the level he was. Tage didn't play the final game. It's just... I am very interested and excited for this offseason. Now that the season's finally over, we can kind of start looking towards what this team's going to look like next year. And the only other thing I'll say about this, Phil, is it any way possible that they can wear the goat heads all year? Because they were 10-1-1 with them at home. They only wore the goat heads at home. They were 7-19-3 without them. Now, I understand smaller sample size, 12 games with the goat head, but you got what? What is it? 20, 21 out of the possible 24 points when you're wearing a Buffalo Sabres goat head jersey. Can we just make that the full time permanent home time jersey? And, you know, the one thing that I was saying that they need to do is have a better home record. That's one way that you could do it just to get yourself a better home record. I'm just I'm just putting it out there. I mean, I'm going to say it again. It was in my Sabres draft for best jersey was the goat head. And uh, look at that. Look at that. The team loves it just as much. I don't know if uh, it would be, I guess we'll say legal by the NHL standards for them to wear them uh, at all times or whenever the heck they want. But I would love it because a love that jersey. And like you said, the results are there. 10, 1 and 1 versus 7, 19 and 3. I don't know what is, you know, with them when they wear that jersey, but clearly they feel extra inspired when they wear. I don't know if they watch, you know, highlights from those. those, glory days of the Sabres when they were amazing and maybe they just watch a little highlight reel before they go out in those jerseys and feel inspired and then bam they go and pretty much win every game yeah but that's pretty much all I have for these two games they didn't really mean a ton besides you know the Anderson night and yeah it was just more padding the stats and getting up to you know 42 wins on the year 91 points feeling you know looking back I, I I really haven't even looked back on the season going you know, two points. If you would have beaten uh, Florida that one time, if you would have beaten Islanders that one time, if you would have beaten, you know, Columbus the first time when I was down in Florida and I take myself, I take the blame on myself for that one. Cause I went to Florida and they lost both games. But if, if you just take one of the losses and flip it to a win, it's a playoff game. And I, I know you can do that with any other team. Like, Hey, if Florida would have won one more game, it wouldn't have mattered. If, if New York Rangers would have won more game, it wouldn't matter. But it's just, I really haven't done that. I'm just, basking in 91 points being that close to playoffs it's it feels good and for I I think I said it last show or last year at the same time this is the best I felt you could see the light at the end of the tunnel it's I'm I'm on I'm I like see not just the light at the end of the tunnel I'm seeing some clouds I'm seeing some shrubbery I'm seeing like the end of the train tracks like I'm almost out of the tunnel I've got like you know maybe another five minutes of walking and I'm outside of the tunnel. I mean, it was just a a massive development season for such a young team. I mean, the biggest thing I think that they can take from this, I mean, there was two, I think Tuck mentioned in his closing words or comments at the locker is that this team now understands what it means to play an entire full season, that that really early 2-8 and whatever stretch that they played without Samuelson super early in the season, 
those kind of situations come back to bite you in the very end. And even this last, you know, stretch that they had where they played really bad and then finally kicked off an incredible end of the season that it's just a, it's a huge growing and kind of developmental moment where this team understands what it takes to be one of those teams for an entire season playing for playoffs the whole time, not just kind of, Hey, we're going to give it our best shot and whatever happens happens now that they're at this level. I mean, it's playoffs or bust. You kind of mentioned it a little bit toward the end here with only missing by two points. Like now it you, you're there, you know, you know, you can do it. You know, you have the team that can do it and hopefully they get even better in the off season. But the team's there. I think the team is ready. The development's there. You can tell that they learned a ton from this season, but now it's it's playoffs or nothing. So, I mean, it's just great to finally have a team that is knocking at the door of finally getting back into some playoff action. So, Phil, final BSC update here for the Buffalo Sabres. I went a little bit more in-depth with this one. Uh, you scored 20 points in those two games. I scored 13 and a half. So, once again, you beat me in uh, what will be a clean sweep. But for the actual year total, and I look back at last year's total as well, you can kind of see just on this small little make-believe game that we have that the team itself improved, and we improved with them. But you scored 585.5. Last year, you put up 1415.1. Pretty drastic improvement there by what? 160 points 170 points there it's a pretty drastic improvement I had a bit of a you know improvement as well I scored 789.5 last year I put up 647.5 so still that 200 point win and the Buffalo Sabres are going to be your kryptonite for this game for years to come it's kind of fun though that we see the difference a team can make or a year can make when uh all of a sudden you're number three in the entire league in scoring our scoring for our BSC fantasy show kind of takes a humongous increase. And as long as you keep your mistyped numbers in there, I did just absolutely You incredible. did win. You did win. I had adjusted on the fly there, though. I didn't know I added an eight at the end there. I had somehow 5,000 points, and uh, wow, that would just demolish everything we've ever done. But... Yeah, no, I I'm, I really got to draft better. But next year, we were talking about this a little bit beforehand. Next year's draft for our BSC fantasy game, for the Sabres at least, it'll be a little bit clearer as to who the top players on the team are across the board on offense and defense. So I think next year is going to be my year for the Sabres. So on our next show, we will hand out our BSC awards. It will close out the 2022-2023 season for the Buffalo Sabres. So it's... Uh, it's the most elusive and most coveted award in all of sports and entertainment history. So check your mailboxes. We'll be sending them out. So we'll move on to the Buffalo Bisons here. Not the series we were hoping for. Thursday, 9-8 loss. Friday, 6-3 loss. Saturday, 7-6 loss. And Sunday, they finally pulled it off. 9-6 win. The series, they lost 2-4. 37 runs scored, so you got the runs that you wanted, Phil, but they gave up 38 runs. It's not the series you wanted with a team that was 1-7 going into this. They're uh, they're sitting at a 6-8 and eight record, so it's still very early, 14 games in, but not the start to the season that we were hoping and thinking that would happen. Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, looking at the future of everything and just trying to look at the big picture right now, I'd still rather have the offense clicking and finally scoring some runs and really have them focus on that more than the pitching because I do believe their pitching staff is going to be very good. I don't know what the heck happened here against one of the early worst teams in the entire league that you're just allowing 
everything. I, I don't know. Their their pitching just really took a nosedive. But it was good to see the whole team didn't. I mean, at least the runs were there. The offense was there. And the offense being there wasn't even just the top of the order. It was a lot of depth offense, yes. which yep. I think is the bigger point to make is that this team found a way to hit all the way through the order. It wasn't just your top couple doing a really good job. It was the whole team putting together team offense to try to keep this, you know, keep them in a lot of these games and win some of them. They only came away with one, but they were in a lot of them. And I mean, even though they were high scoring, it was good to see the entire offense getting involved. And I hope the pitching can kind of turn around, but I have more faith in the pitching than I do the offense. As far as just early on, I'd like to see the offense continue to roll and the pitching, I think will fall in line at some point. Yeah. I think you summed it up perfectly. The bottom of the lineup this time was the reason that they were you know, scoring these runs. It wasn't really at the top of the lineup. The top prospects in the system really had a rough week, and we'll go over that in a second. But the biggest issue with the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday games were the starting pitching just struggled. Thompson went four and one-third of an inning in the Thursday game. He gave up six earned runs on seven hits. One of them was a home run, and he struck out nobody. In the Friday game, Zulu went three innings pitch. I know they're going to slowly extend him and build up his arm strength and get him into further innings, but he gave up five runs on seven hits, two strikeouts. And then Saturday's game, Bard started. He went three innings pitch of three earned runs. And then Junior Fernandez came in and two earned runs in relief. So yes, you're scoring runs, but your pitching staff to start is definitely the reason that it's struggling. It seems like the bullpen, every once in a while, they have a bad outing. Like uh, Junior Fernandez gave up two earned runs. And then uh, in in the Saturday game, Jackson came in and gave up four earned runs. So yes, there's going to be blowups every once in a while. That's what happens in baseball. But it just seems like, and this stinks for me to say because I was the one preaching nonstop for starting rotation last year, but it just seems like their starting rotation so far, 14 games in, is struggling a bit. And that's a big reason why you're seeing these runs against totals so high. It's just they're getting to the starters early, and yes, you're getting to the bullpen better to control it and keep it under wraps so your 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 hitters can get back into the game. But a lot of times they're just putting you too far into a hole that it's hard to be, get dig yourself out of. Yeah, again, I mean, to me, I'd rather have the offense just be clicking and rolling all the way through. I think Lawrence especially is someone who will figure it out at some point. I mean, he's been good for so many years. These last couple of seasons, he's been extremely good. So, I mean, even if he's having a rough start, I'm not overly worried about it. Thompson, I think, is another one. His ERA is not good right now for a starter, but at the same time, I think he will also just kind of find his way and be a little bit better moving forward. So, for the most part... I don't I mean, it's really hard to want to say to even consider them going to bullpen games. Don't because I know you do it. You and I absolutely hate it. So, OK, fine. We will we will bear it for now that they actually stick with a rotation. But I don't know. They better. Uh, I mean, they got time. It's super early. Again, baseball's really hard to talk about so early in the season as far as just making any sweeping declarations or any big moves. So for now. The rotation just needs to pick it up, but for the most part, I will take the positive of the offense coming to play every single game in that series. So we'll do a player review where we talk about some of the top prospects that are hopefully going to be making their time in Rock- or uh, Toronto very soon. 
Uh, not the best week for him. Lopez went two for 16 with three RBIs, two runs scored, and five strikeouts. He's hitting 214 on the year with four RBIs, and he struck out 10 times, walked four. Barger, three for 12 with two RBIs, two runs scored, three walks, stolen base, and four strikeouts. He's hitting 255 with a home run and five RBIs. Schneider, good week, four for 11 with an RBI, three walks, three strikeouts. He's hitting 222 on the year, but that average has come up in these last four games. Horowitz, in these four games, two for 12, four strikeouts, two runs, one RBI, one walk. He's hitting 268 with an RBI in the year so far. Definitely got to get him in position to hit some players around the bases and score them. Zulu, three innings pitch, five earned runs, seven hits, two strikeouts, one home run allowed. He's got a 7.5 ERA in six innings so far. But I think a lot of his work is going to be towards the June and July when he's, he's you know, his starts are going to be extended a bit more. Pearson, one earn, uh, one pitch, I'm sorry, one inning pitch, zero hits, three strikeouts. He's got a 284 ERA so far in six and one third of an inning. And Junger, Phil, Junger, two innings pitched, or two and one third of an inning pitched, allowing two hits and two strikeouts. He's got a 4.91 ERA so far in seven and one third of an inning. All right, first off, I, I know... It's uh, we're in the middle of baseball chat, but I mean, is there any other time to bring up that the weather just went absolutely insane outside? Yeah, when I was talking, that wind <laughs> picked up insanely. Yeah, I had to like take my headphones off. I was like, "What is going on in my house?" And just all of a sudden, I mean, you and I live far enough away that for it to hit at the exact same time is kind of funny. But it just started raining, and the wind started whipping, and it's loud and obnoxious outside, and it's getting real, real stormy, which crazy, is uh, crazy. It's fair because we had to throw weather on this podcast because that's what we do. And we're talking about baseball. We do, do and that's, weather updates. That's, you know, when we talk about weather the most. But for the most part with these prospects, I think everyone, I mean, like we said, it's kind of weird that the bottom of the order did better than the top. I mean, Lopez, two for 16, not great. Barger, three for 12 with three walks is really not that bad, especially for him being a rookie. Schneider had a good time. Horwitz, not great, but not awful. Zulu, not a good, you know, comeback after his really solid early on start. So, I mean, that he's got to pick up a little bit. Pearson Younger, again, coming up really big. I think they've had back-to-back really good outings for both of them. So they had one that they kind of struggled with early on, but now both of them are really starting to settle in a little bit more and really great to see. I mean, even through, you know, just one inning and then two innings, it's not much, but one inning and three Ks is incredible for Pearson. And then 2.1, only two hits and two Ks, really good for Younger. So, Good to see the pitching, other than Zulu going really well. But Zulu, it's his first time in AAA. You got to expect these situations to happen with a younger pitcher. And Lopez needs to pick it up. Horwitz needs to pick it up. Good to see from Barger and Schneider, though. So BSC update. This will clear up your clean sweep. You put up 11.5. I put up 10.5. Are you making any changes to your team? I am going to hold with my fantastic BSC win. I'm not really sure how I got it with uh, some of the pitching that I had. Zulu scared me quite a bit. And then Lopez and Horwitz, you know, two for 16, two for 12. I was quite worried, but you had some rough pitching yourself. So that kind of helped. I really did. I really did. I'm also going to hold. I think it's a bit too early to make too many drastic changes. So on our next show... They, uh, they are facing the Iowa Cubs in two games. Well, they're facing six, but we'll be able to cover the first two games. They are 8-4, 103 runs scored, 81 runs against Buffalo. In comparison, has 61 runs scored, 73 runs against Phil. Uh, Iowa Cubs, another boring name. Uh, I'm waiting for the times when we face the fun AAA names. 
I don't know if we're allowed to face the fun AAA names. I think Probably that's, not. that's part of the scheduling. They just, it's not based on where they are or what division they're in. It's just year, this year, you guys get the boring names and the other side gets the fun names. I think that's just how they make the schedule. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But uh, before we lose power, we'll try to wrap the show up. The BSC MVP this week, we are keeping up with tradition. When you score an overtime winner, you are the BSC winner of the B- the BSC MVP. And that is Josh Byrne. Three goals, two assists, four loose balls, and the o- overtime winner. It was his birthday. He just got engaged. Uh, everything's turning up. Josh Byrne for him this week. Congrats to him. Not just for, you know, getting engaged having a birthday, but also the overtime winner. And most importantly, and I think he would attest to this as well, BSC MVP. Yeah, I, I was going to fight it a smidgen. Uh, I had another player in mind as well. Not that Byrne doesn't deserve it, but, you know, like you said, with his birthday, with the engagement, with the overtime incredible jump shot that he had, I will absolutely uh, back you up with Josh Byrne as MVP. He's pretty much MVP of life right now with everything he's got going on, including that, again, incredible jump time, jump OT winner, and even just being able to turn it on. He was shut out in the first half of that game and then really turned it on late to get those three massive goals and finish with a really solid game. So I think he uh, he deserves it. So, Phil, before we lose power, anything else you want to add to the show before we shut it down for a work week and then the massive biggest game of the Buffalo Banners season on Saturday night? I was going to ask, right now, with what you've witnessed most recently, um, I don't know, a scale of, like, what what percentage chance right now are you giving the Bandits to win Saturday? 27%. <laughs> Jeez, that's low. All right. I was, just, I was curious. I was curious. I'm also not feeling great about it. Oh, I'm pretty worried. Pretty worried. All right. That's all I got. The percentage would have went much higher had they done what i think everybody was hoping for against new york but you scored 11 points on the worst defense and goaltending in the east and uh yeah my confidence is very low for the offense right now that's the only thing holding me back the the defense and mad vince figured it out versus the toronto rock uh after the toronto rock game it's the offense that is still struggling and uh i know they're finding ways to win and this is going to come back and benefit them in the playoffs when everything's close but still it's uh something's got to change so phil on our next show we will preview that massive game the toronto rock coming to bandit land to face the buffalo bandits with first place in the east on the line if they lose they cannot catch the toronto rock if they win they control their own fate we will cover the first two games in the Buffalo Bison series and our BSC award show for the Buffalo Sabres. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Thank God we didn't lose power yet. Follow along with us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye bye